1: welcome to this week's episode of best camp of my life a podcast about mma kind of but not really but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Pratis, unless this is 2021 and we're still existing under the confines of neoliberal capitalism. In which case, I still am your host, Fernanda Pratis, in the sense that this is my name and this is my job description, but I am also not entirely your host, Fernanda Pratis, in the sense that these markers of identity are ultimately obfuscated by the reality that I am but a small cog in the all-powerful productivity machine, and therefore is this less as a fully formed human being acting on my own needs and drives, and more as a caffeinated sack of bones and nerves, moved by its need to nurture and shelter itself while ultimately producing wealth for more fortunate sacks of bones and nerves who can already afford to nurture and shelter themselves millions of times over. But in any case, let us not worry about any of that now. If all goes well, the same billionaires who continue to actively work toward the degradation of our quality of life on behalf of their own insatiable greed will eventually succeed in blowing up the planet and we won't even have time to dwell on such matters, what with us being extremely dead and stuff. In the meantime, I still am identifiable by the moniker Fernanda Pratis, and I am still your guide through this particular auditive endeavour. And that's all we need to focus on. Well, this and the fact that Netflix now has a show called Penguin Town that is literally about penguins hanging out in a South African town. And it is as amazing as it sounds, but I guess we can talk about that some other time. For now, what matters is you're here, I'm here, and perhaps most importantly, yet another very special guest is here. Today, I'm joined by broadcaster, MMA commentator, actress, and fitness professional, Phoenix Carnevale. You might know Phoenix from her interviews for Access TV's MMA shows or from her participations on UFC Unfiltered or from her workouts on The Daily Burn or from the hundreds of other things that she's hosted or commentated in or has been featured on because, trust me, there are a lot of them. This is a seriously busy woman. It's inspiring, really. I almost want to stop soaking around all day and actually do something with my life. Almost. In any case, here's our chat. Enjoy it or don't. Just remember, I'm not the one hoarding the world's fortune and profiting off its growing inequality. Gotta say that writing the intro to this episode was a little more challenging than usual. Because normally, I will need like six words to describe a guest's occupation. (laughs) Yet today, guest there's so many things that I needed like two extra paragraphs to cover it all it is inspiring and also a little humiliating on a personal level (laughs) welcome to the podcast phoenix i don't even know how to respond to that (laughs) that's the Um, gift of my intros they (laughs) just throw my guests off and just makes just makes things uncomfortable for everyone that's how i like to to get started
0: i'm just happy to be here and have a great conversation uh with somebody who who gets who gets part of what i do you know
1: yeah, one part of the several parts, because as I said in my interest, so you you are, you know, a broadcaster, you're a commentator, uh, you are a fitness professional, you are an actress, I know you also do improv, like, <laughs> there's a lot to cover. And I want to kind of talk about all of it today with you. But I, I will start with one thing that I always ask my guests. And in your case, I know it's, it, it's going to be more of a multi layered question, because I always want to know. People's introduction, right? How how did they end up in MMA? And I know with you there are, there are layers to that one, right? You have a very diverse uh, background when it comes to to MMA and martial arts. So feel free to start wherever you want with this. But how, yeah, I guess how did your relationship with with mixed martial arts begin? Answer.
0: I think the way a lot of people answer, mm. and it, I think it started with Bruce Lee okay it really started with just you know i was this tomboy this was that term we used to use when you were a girl into guy things which is no longer a term that we use because you're Mm -hmm. a person into whatever you like which i actually kind of appreciate but um (laughs) at the time i you know i just loved action movies and i i loved martial arts and i couldn't start studying until i had my own money you know my Mm -hmm. parents gave me the we we can't afford it we can't afford it yeah So I started the karate first and then Mm -hmm. around, uh, 2005, six or seven MMA started to explode. You know, UFC became a little bit more popular. I mean, I would see it on a fuzzy, we used to call it a hot box, which was like Mm -hmm. the illegal pay-per-view and, um, and I would watch it. And then the ultimate fighter. And I was just like, listen, I love karate and everything, but it just doesn't seem as real as this MMA stuff. Mm -hmm. So it it really, uh, really created this curiosity I had with it. And I left karate and I started boxing. Mm -hmm. And I met all these MMA fighters. And when you when you go to a boxing gym or an MMA gym, the funniest thing happens, you train for maybe an hour and a half, but you're there for four or five hours. Mm hmm. Why? Because when you're done training, you sit up against the ring or the cage and you wind up talking to everybody and they tell you the most interesting stories. I literally felt like I was on the Discovery Channel most of the time (laughs) when I I would hear these sad and hilarious and crazy and too good to be true. All these amazing stories from athletes and coaches. And then I was like, I probably should be interviewing these people because while I'm sitting here, that's Mm -hmm. basically what I'm doing. And uh, and that's pretty much how it started.
1: You mentioned, I was listening to uh, another podcast you did, I believe Storytellers was the name. I could be wrong. I have bad memory, but I think. Oh, I yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you, because you, you just mentioned Bruce Lee. And one thing that I thought was interesting because I really related to it was you talking about how, you know, early on um, you were kind of trying to find ways to like bond and connect with your dad. And that kind of martial arts was part of it. So I I wanted to hear a little bit more because I really understood it. Because I was, my dad has five daughters now (laughs) um, from very different generations. My oldest is 10 years older than me. And uh, my oldest sister and my youngest is like, I think she's 15 now. She's a teenager. And I had this kind of like, I want to like, okay, I'll be the son that my dad didn't get and i was like <laughs> cute the idea of the tomboy that i also like that we're not really using those terms anymore but i was kind of like that and that's how it got into soccer and everything else i kind of wanted to that was the way that i found to bond with with my dad too and so i wanted to, to hear a little more about that that sort of relationship and you i know you have other uh, older brothers as well but kind of where what how does you know martial arts in your beginning with that relate to your relationship with your dad Well my parents
0: got divorced when I was about 6 months old mm-hmm. so every Sunday my dad would take us and he would record two things for me which kind of explains my personality he would it, <laughs> he would record um like Friday night music videos because this was a little bit before MTV Okay. And he would record Saturday morning Kung Fu.
1: That's amazing.
0: So we'd start off with the music videos. And by the time the Kung Fu would come on, he would fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So I'd be okay. kind of, <laughs> I know. So I'd be sitting there kind of bored, but I was kind of enamored by these Kung Fu movies, especially mm-hmm. Bruce Lee, because the thing about Bruce that was uh, really amazing to me was I just felt like he had the world figured out because he mm-hmm. would speak so eloquently and I was young I'm talking like I was 7 8 years old. Yeah. But I remember saying, "Can I meet Bruce Lee? Can I can I talk to him? Can I be his friend?" And my dad was like Yeah, right. And my dad was like, "No, he passed away." And I was like, "What does that mean?" You know, I had to now understand that this amazing person was like gone forever. Yeah. And then then it got really in- interesting when I learned about Jackie Chan. Okay because jackie was i feel like i'm a little bruce and i'm a little jackie i'm very philosophical but i'm also extremely silly okay so jackie i was like wow you could martial arts you could do everything so n- now when i would see my dad he was like okay she likes this stuff and that's what we would do it'd be action movies or martial arts movies and and that's what we would do together we would watch those things together
1: um uh- It's interesting because with my dad, I wasn't, he wasn't that big of a martial arts fan, but I, we kind of like, then I drew him into that. I Mm -hmm. like, he was into sports and I started following sports because of him already in my teens. And then when I started covering fighting, he was trying to like, use that as a way to talk to me. So he would like record UFC events because we lived in separate cities my entire life. Um, Now in separate countries because he lives in portugal and we would he would record the events which i had already seen by the way and have me watch them with him and because he wanted to hear my comments which was really sweet and infuriating because i had already watched the entire event but (laughs) 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 this is my work i talk about this all the time but you know how could you say no to that that was very sweet that Um, is sweet Another thing that uh, you talked about that I also can relate to was I we didn't really have a lot of money growing up. And I also couldn't really we couldn't afford classes and in, 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 in martial anything but martial arts. Uh, so I only got into it as a physical activity when I was like 19 and I was interning and I could afford it. So uh, I can absolutely relate to that, too. But I wanted to hear more about how you began practicing martial arts was it kung fu with karate
0: um, karate okay. i just had a deep affection for japanese culture mm-hmm. um, because japanese culture is very very neat and mm-hmm. uh you know my mom i love her and everything but she she loves stuff so there's like knickknacks all over and you know if you go to get a spoon there's eight thousand of them and it to me it was like infuriating it was so so <laughs> much so much clutter so with Japanese, everything is simple and, and neat and clean, and everything has a place, and it was organized. It just kind of appealed to me, mm-hmm. so I started that in in, in my twenties, and it was the first art I studied, and um, I loved it because it wasn't just physical for me. It was also mm-hmm. I learned discipline and art and culture, and and um, the food is just so good. And <laughs> I ran out of money halfway through, and my um, my master was like, "Okay, you can clean the dojo." so I literally lived a little karate kid type lifestyle for a while.
1: Oh, that's amazing, yeah, it
0: was pretty cool. it really was
1: and then from there uh it was boxing from, yeah because I loved karate, but the style that
0: i I did mm-hmm. did point fighting and i mm-hmm. I was doing I was doing tournaments and I kept getting uh I kept getting disqualified for excessive force and, and it's cause inside I wanted to fight. I, re- I really just wanted, I had been jumped a couple times in high school and I had been in a couple of really brutal fights in, in, in my life. I, you know, and I just, there that was in me. I, I, I wanted to fight. I wanted to feel like I could defend myself. Mm-hmm. So I was getting frustrated with the point fighting and, and, um, and I was a Brown belt and I was like, you know, I don't want to get my black belt feeling like I don't really know how to fight. Okay. And, Even though kata and forms are extremely beautiful and like Mm -hmm. fantastic exercise, I wanted to really, you know, like I was watching the ultimate fighter and I'm like submissions and this and that. I mean, that's, I'm fascinated by this. So I had this breakup and uh, I had a little bit of money because I wasn't going to be living with this guy anymore. And I ran to Gleason's gym in Brooklyn, New York, and I put Mm -hmm. my right money on the table and I was like, I'm not here to get in shape. I want to fight. And they were like, oh, for real? And they see this, you know, kind of pretty little girl. And everybody thought, you know, nah, she's just another one of these aerobic, you know, chicks that just wants to, I was like, no, no, no. So <laughs> day one, I'm sparring and I'm getting messed up because I did karate. So my hands are all low and mm-hmm. I got that stupid karate bounce. And these <laughs> professional boxers are mopping me up, but I was in shape. So I went 10 rounds. Mm-hmm. and they were like all right you're serious you're in shape and you also have a chin so come back tomorrow and uh and then I boxed for a while and I met all these amazing guys from Henzo's that had d- done jujitsu and things like mm-hmm. that and I said oh, I want to start kicking again so I I jumped into Muay Thai and then mm-hmm. I've always played with jujitsu but yeah if I'm being truthful I have gotten more hurt in jujitsu than any of the striking arts that I have studied
1: Oh, absolutely. Me too. I only got my blue belt, but same thing. Oh, okay. I didn't really spar because I've, yeah, I've been doing Muay Thai like on and off for like 12 Mm -hmm. years or whatever, but never really hard sparred. Like, it's just, I'm, I'm just not cut out for physical (laughs) pain. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'll I'll like do a lot of tattoos though that's the kind of pain I can <laughs> handle. But like, if you touch my shin the wrong way, I am uh, crying. So see, I was fine with that. I was yeah. fine with
0: that. Um, c- it was just jujitsu. I I got like fractured ribs and like mm-hmm. a, almost a torn bicep and a torn labrum, and it's just I'm so tiny. You know, um, so jujitsu became the thing where it's like I would pull a black belt over to the side and be like, show me this and show me that. Mm-hmm. But I, I never really studied consistently. But striking arts I love. I mean, now I'm getting more into, you know, a and knives and sticks. And I I, lo- I love all martial arts. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. in MMA and I work in MMA because that's where work is. But I, I love all of them. <laughs> you know, like I like C-Lot and I like... I really just like martial arts in general.
1: So when you see those shows, cause I remember they kind of died out before a little bit. The last one I thought mm-hmm. was probably big Nog. before a little bit. There were those shows where like martial artists travel the planet, learning the martial yeah. arts from like each, but that kind of sounds like it would be your, your perfect fit.
0: Oh my God. It would be, it would totally be my perfect fit. And I think that it, there's more of a demand for it now. I think at the mm-hmm. time when it was a, uh, uh, I forget it was the, uh, there was something warrior and then the other one was called fight quest with Jimmy Smits, Yeah. Which, which I like too. Cause I like him a lot. oh he's um, awesome. Yeah. But I forget the other one, human weapon, human weapon. Yes. Yes. And then the other one. And, uh, and uh, you know, I feel like if they would have just been funnier, mm, you're right. You know, it in, and had more of a, like an Anthony Bourdain approach, mm-hmm. it, it might've worked, but I definitely think it would work now. So if anybody's out there listening, uh call my agent. Let's make that happen. I I have a pitch deck literally on my computer for something like that right now.
1: That's amazing. I di- we didn't plan this, listeners. I promise it was a genuine <laughs> question.
0: But I always appeal
1: to like fictional millionaire listeners like every episode. So if you're out there still my millionaire listener who still hasn't sent me gifts, but that's okay. I'll forgive you if you um produce phoenix's show but you did yeah. so so from you had that moment when you're like sitting and talking to these people and understandably being super interested in their stories because i still think after all these years in mma and all the several times that i thought about giving up mma which mm-hmm. i think is a, a common thought all of us have had at some point um the yeah. stories right that the athletes have that's It's just, to me, it never ends. It's like a well that is just, you can never go out of interesting stories in the sport. But you're, you're there, you're listening to them, and you're thinking, I should be interviewing them. And that makes absolute sense. But from having that idea to making it happen, how was that, you know, how was the beginning, like the practical beginning of that career for you?
0: honestly i just a lot of it came from genuine curiosity so Mm -hmm. that's it it started that way and then uh i i was i i matt sarah is one of my closest friends and we became friends he didn't know i was a girl because my name is phoenix which could be a girl or a guy and we were talking online about star wars for like a month
1: that's amazing i I had no idea
0: yeah, I had no background in journalism. I had a really strong background in acting mm-hmm. and I, and I had trained in acting and gone to school for it, but I said, Hey, you know, you're about to fight George St. Pierre for the second time. Would it be cool if I came near school and interviewed you? And he was like, sure. Cause he's the nicest person like mm-hmm. ever. And he gives people a shot and he was like, show me a sample of, you know, what you write. I didn't know how to write, but I wrote something. And then he (laughs) said, sure, come down. And I did this like little interview with a digital camera because we didn't even, there wasn't even phones back then. And Mm -hmm. I put it on YouTube and it got like a ton of hits because it was very organic. There was Mm -hmm. this interesting conversation. And then from there, I just started doing it more often. And then I was in the audience with two guys that were referees that were friends of mine. Mm. and this this guy who ran a local kickboxing promotion overheard me saying i think this is gonna happen because look at how he you know has his hands and blah 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 and googled me and then was like this girl's good we're gonna put this pay-per-view on let's have her do commentary i'm like i don't know how to commentate so i sent an email to joe rogan okay oh my god
1: that's amazing you literally just just you gotta what shoot your shot. That?
0: This has got to be 2010. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's got to mm-hmm. be like back then. And uh, I send him this email, and I'm like, "Hey, I know nothing about commentary. This local show asked me to do commentary. Can you give me like a drop of advice?" And he goes, "Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, call it like you see it. Mm-hmm. Two, speak clearly. And three, don't be as annoying as me." So (laughs) I started laughing it was thanks Joe I never heard from him ever again until 10 years later Mm. where he sees me on tv doesn't remember that we had this conversation Mm -hmm. and sent me this really nice message on twitter like hey saw you at lion fight thought you did a great job I'm like Joe do you remember me (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing and and he's like I don't but you know congratulations you know you you, you've done a lot since then and um so from there I, I I i did some show on espn and dana white saw it because john jones Mm -hmm. retweeted it and he he said hey you know try it out give a try out comment try out you know doing some interviews for your own local website which i did
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and uh he just gave me this one shot and i didn't know what i was doing and i was so nervous i didn't know where to sit i wound up going backstage to where the television broadcast was and sitting in some corner and i was in the wrong spot and no (laughs) one told me and i'm looking at Shell sun and i'm like i'm not supposed to be here am i (laughs) and then finally i i go into this like you know the media rooms they look Mm -hmm. like this huge cafeteria and everybody knows each other and it literally Mm -hmm. had that the remnants of high school where i didn't know where to sit because i'm the new kid so I wind up sitting with the Brazilians because no one speaks English. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier that way. <laughs> Less pressure on the communication process. And I'm so uncomfortable. And it's my first time ever doing any of this. My favorite fighter is Anderson Silva and Chris mm-hmm. Weidman knocks him out.
1: Oh, so that was the one. That was the first one. Mm, okay.
0: After that, Dave Shoulder, who you, got, you probably remember, yeah. was like, like, hey, you, you did pretty good. The next time you want to do this, just get a website to, Mm -hmm. you know, give you an assignment. Mm -hmm. And I I think I worked with Bloody Elbow a number of times. And then, you know, I I think they fell out of not me, but they might have fell out of the UFC's good graces. Mm -hmm. And then I wound up getting a job with the LFA. And then that's kind of how it happened. But it literally happened by I was on ESPN for some show. Dana saw it. I asked him if it was cool. He said, you get this one shot. It went well and I did a Mm -hmm. few more, but you know, it was kind of scary and I don't recommend that anybody goes about it the way that I did Mm -hmm. because it was like getting a championship belt when you had never had an amateur fight. And I really wish I would have like had some time to grow because Mm -hmm. I had to do all of my growing yeah, while interviewing top. John Jones, while interviewing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, George St Pierre. My first interview was Matt Serra. My second interview was George St Pierre. My third was John Jones.
1: That's great. You know,
0: and and so it was it. Yeah, and I'm so go- much better now that it's just like cringe, cringe, but. <laughs> I feel like we all feel that way as as media, right? You you Ooh, absolutely you grow and you have to grow in the process. So it's very tough.
1: I think that for me, like the saving grace was that I wasn't doing things on camera. So, like my, I have my first interviews on camera because I am. I'm a panicked person with everything. Like, I'm just a like, nervous human being. That's just my personality. Like, I'm just anxious about literally everything. But cameras freak me out, like, the most. Um, so my first interviews on camera are also not amazing. I think Lena Landsberg was the first person I interviewed in a sit-down on camera. So I got a, a softer introduction <laughs> than you did. <laughs> but um, I also, I feel like this is a common thing, right? Having opportunities at moments when you don't necessarily feel like you're ready for them and yeah. just like you take them because what else are you going to do um yeah. my first interviews were for a local newspaper a local national newspaper in Brazil i say local to brazil it was a big newspaper and i was an intern but um the paper was going bankrupt so it's right. like i was doing the work of a full-time reporter like working full-time hours and everything else and I was now looking back. I'm like, how did I do all of that? Like, I was 20. I didn't know anything. Like now, I would freak out about these <laughs> <think it. laughs> Like, but uh, some of my first interviews, like uh, I think uh, Anderson Silva was my first in-person interview for the paper too, and um, and he was training a team, together with Eric Silva, who was just then like sparring with them. Like he wasn't. I uh, hadn't been in the UFC yet and in anything. And, like, Lee who I was obsessed with, he was, like, my favorite fighter. I was, like, I thought everything he did was amazing and beautiful and he could do no yeah. wrong. <laughs> and I was interviewing him and Shogun and Damien. I remember I interviewed Damien, like, the day after that whole thing happened with Anderson and Abu Dhabi and, like, all these... Super incredible things, and looking back, I'm like, oh my god, I was so green, I was so unprepared. Like now having that, it would be so much different. But then at the same time, if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't be here now. So who knows? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You you
0: just you just got to run with it. I mean, and I think a lot of the improv background helps too. Mm-hmm. Where I would just go, okay, I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Say yes, right? Isn't there <laughs> right? Yes,
0: Uh, yes and
1: yeah (laughs) and but then you said you had that experience with improv and acting so that was back then what was sort of your career path like was acting where you were were headed at um
0: I had taken a hiatus because you Mm -hmm. know acting I wasn't mature enough for it at the time Mm -hmm. in 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 my early 20s it was just such a you just deal with so much rejection and a lot of it has nothing to do with you but i wasn't mature enough to handle that a lot of it has to do with like ah, uh, we have three brunettes on this show we need a blonde uh mm-hmm. the co star five eight we'd have to use an apple box the whole time nah get someone who's five five like it's literally things that you can't even it has True. nothing to do with you so yeah. you, c- you can't take any of it personally so i wound up i wound up in fitness and doing really well with it at the time And I did really love it because I like science a lot and uh, I did a lot of it and I traveled and, and, um, trained a ton of people and taught classes all over the place and Mm -hmm. wound up doing a lot of that on camera too. And then I just really missed acting, but MMA kind of took over Mm -hmm. and I just kind of, and then after that acting came an afterthought, but it was just some, always something that I enjoyed. And it truly was my first love. Like I got into martial arts because of film and television mm-hmm. and philosophy. But you know, I
1: I don't know. I just
0: love them both, and I think they're so similar in so many ways. Mm-hmm.
1: I it's interesting. You mentioned LFA. the The way I first uh, saw you, heard of you, was because of those interviews. Mm-hmm. Because I was working at Junkie at the time. And we got the videos to work on little stories. Like, I would do little stories about LFA on Friday morning because the event was at night and -hmm. it was content and it was good content, like well produced videos. But I remember watching the interviews and thinking, like, she's in a tough spot because, like, when you are dealing with fighters who are in the UFC, there's so much information available. Yeah. Um, When you're dealing with fighters, right, that aren't necessarily that well known and you have to ask them, questions that are relevant that are interesting that gets them wanting to talk and that get people who aren't as inclined to be interested in the event as people who are fans of the usc and having to write the stories i remember like whenever you like you were asking questions i'm like oh thank god she has this <laughs> this yeah. is an interesting question and i can actually get something out of it out of it uh, how was how was your preparation process for those those interviews
0: there's a couple of things that are really important. The, mm-hmm. the the challenge already is that they really can't be too long. Yeah. So they mm-hmm. have to be like three minutes. So mm-hmm. you don't really get... You don't really get the process of screening out what's going to be interesting yes, or mu- much time to get to their personality. So mm-hmm. I know that if I have like 90 seconds before the camera comes on, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be your friend. I'm trying to get to know you. I'm trying to get to know the way your personality is. So do I have mm-hmm. to play up the fact that you're like stern and serious about this fight and ask you something that's going to rile that part of you up? Or do I know you're kind of fun and loose? And so I have mm-hmm. to get that about you in like 90 seconds before the red light goes on. Mm-hmm. And um, we would do some pre-screenings just you know, with the fighters and at the desk. It was me, Pat and Ron at the time. And then mm-hmm. I, would, I would pinpoint stuff that sounded interesting in those interviews and, okay. and derive my questions that way if I had enough time or if we had the ability to pre-screen them. Mm-hmm. But it would be awesome with the LFA because I have a different approach when, and I, I had this conversation on MMA fighting this week. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's a card and the, and it's like messed up because the popular kids' names aren't on it and everybody thinks, oh, it's a, it's a, it's not a great card. And yeah. I always beg to differ because it's usually the people you don't know that are fighting for the little chunks of meat. So they're going to be mm-hmm. way more into it. So I believe in giving those people who you don't know yet a chance yeah, to shine. Sure. And I took mm-hmm. that very seriously. Like mm-hmm. this is an opportunity for you to get those stepping stones into your career. And I know how much hard work you put into this just to fight because I've fought. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give them the respect that they deserved for being there. And as long as they were cool with me, I was gonna mm-hmm. try to get the best out of you. And I would, hey, are you nervous? Have you done interviews before? Do you need a little help with this? Yeah. And and if it wasn't live, I would ask like, hey, guys, do we have 10 minutes so I could mm-hmm. I could help this guy out or girl out a little bit? Yeah. And a lot of the times, a lot of the times a producer would say yes. And a lot of the times they'd be like, no, we got to go to dinner. Mm-hmm. But you work with what you got and you just have to be very observant. And also, if you're sincerely care, which mm-hmm. you should, mm-hmm. especially on when people are on the come up, you, you'll
1: find you'll find things. I was just going to say that, you know, I, you mentioned you didn't really have a background in, in like journalism or, you know, formal broadcasting, quote unquote. But to me, and this is something I've been, you know, learning throughout my career as well. Um, the secret to a good interview, and th- th- I know it sounds a little arrogant because it seems like, oh, I'm like, I don't know, Barbara, Barbara Walters. I'm not, but like, I think to me, when I'm listening to an interview, what comes across is is the person asking the question genuinely interested in the answer right, right? right. like it's it, this to me is much more important than being trained to like hold the mic a, look a certain like you know those technical things, you pick that up along the way because, of course, you need to have like a a clean presentation of your content or the content gets lost. But like ultimately, to me, that's the key. And like you said, when you have like a one hour interview, it's much easier. I feel like, because you can like try different things, right? A lot of people who don't interview might not know it, but it's much harder for me to prepare an interview in which I have to ask a person three questions. Yes. Because they, like, they have to be really damn good three questions. And if the first one flops, they're like, oh no, I wasted one of them. This mm-hmm. is terrible. Yeah. terrible. Yeah. And these people are really often especially in the smaller circuits like you get people who are visibly nervous about being very it's not what they do it's not a natural thing for a lot of people right so when you talk about the effort to make people comfortable like you have to make them feel like they're talking to a person not a camera Mm -hmm. or not thousands of people right like to me that's kind of the key to it uh harder it's easier said than done uh at least for me because i get nervous interviewing too but you don't look nervous like how is your your relationship today with the camera do you get nervous or anxious at all like do you really feel as comfortable as you look in front of the camera
0: i think um in the beginning i was really super nervous because Mm -hmm. the lfa kind of let me know it was like a trial thing okay so i was almost too stiff and then once I knew I, that they were really happy and the fans were happy because that was a pretty, you know, amazing because, you know, sometimes MMA fans cannot be the best. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was like 90% everybody was happy, you know, and that that felt great. And mm-hmm. then I loosened up a little bit and then I kind of mm-hmm. knew the reins because I knew what was coming next and it, mm-hmm. I got more comfortable. But I'm always nervous because there's a very thin line between nerves and excitement, Yeah, And I'm always excited to work a show and to do something creative, no matter if it's acting or if it's Mm -hmm. MMA or whatever, I'm always excited. Uh, And I am always nervous, but I just talk to myself with the nerves. Like, okay, you're excited. That's what this is. And and it's just like any spiral with anxiety, because I suffer from anxiety and depression, and I have to check myself quite often. First, you have a thought. And that thought leads to a feeling and that feeling leads to an action. So if my thought is this, this nerves is excitement. My feeling is just going to be much more excited and, and like into it, but alert. And then uh, my actions are going to be from a place of like kind of joy and excitement and, Mm -hmm. and, and alertness. But if my nerves are like, oh my God, you suck. You're going to fuck this up. Sorry if I just cursed.
1: Um, (laughs) No, it's okay. (laughs) This is uh a... <laughs> you, you feel free you could say literally whatever you want as long as it's like not racist or whatever like, you're no you're no. good <laughs> we're pc um, but we use swear words like okay that's, them's the rules here come
0: completely get it <laughs> yeah but i'm like okay you're gonna you're gonna mess this up that's my thought now my feeling is like nerves sweat discomfort and my actions are going to be just a mess because i'm going to second guess myself so i have to check my thoughts first then my Mm -hmm. feelings will respond and my actions will reflect my feelings and um and that goes really for anything
1: i can absolutely relate to that uh do you do like breathing exercises or stuff like that
0: uh i think breathing starts to happen naturally when you tell yourself to sort of calm down and Mm -hmm. go from a place of excitement as opposed to like anxiety you know i have asthma too so i have to make sure that i don't hyperventilator, (laughs) which never, (laughs) never really happens. Even when I was fighting, you just calm, you just calm those nerves down by, by self-talk. And it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not that corny stuff where it's like, love your inner lotus flower (laughs) or any, it's not that it's mostly like, okay, this is hard. This is a tough situation. You can get through this, study your notes, pay attention, Mm -hmm. listen to what the fighter has to say. If you make a mistake, humbly apologize and get right back on it. You know, and th- and that's just what you do, mm-hmm. and it it helped it helped tremendously. But I I tell you this, I really do wish I had help and people training me because a lot of this was on the job training, figure it out as you go.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <Or it> just <laughs> yeah, threw you in the pool and you're like, now swim. Oh, by the way, there are sharks. Never it, mind them. Just do your it, thing.
0: Y- yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One thing though that I. One common theme when I talk to women in this business and women, particularly who have to do things on camera, uh, I've had uh, Megan Olivia on the show, Karen Bryant. Um, one thing that came up and that I can only, that I experienced a little bit of, but I can't mm-hmm. imagine with you girls who are on camera so often, um, was the pressure on appearance, right? Yeah. I think that. A lot of people instinctively say, well, it's TV. Everyone has to look good, men and women. But one thing, and of course, like there is a, an aesthetic pressure on everyone. But one thing that, for instance, Karen's, Karen mentioned was like the idea of aging for, for a woman is that much more haunting. Or like if you gain a couple of pounds when you're a woman in the broadcast, that's going to get noticed. Whereas, you know, your male counterparts can quote unquote get away uh with a lot more um uh, how has that experience like how has that experience been for you to sort of be in this vulnerable position where you know your face is out there and the internet is out there and people are gonna have opinions and they're gonna say things and um uh, and you know and keeping your sanity like has it been a process has it ever been hard for you like how have you dealt with with you know just the aesthetic pressure that comes with doing what you do
0: say i've maybe i've handled it well but my fiance will tell you differently <laughs> because i always feel that sense of pressure i always mm. feel it and and It's hard because I remember getting to arguments with my producers because, you know, sometimes you're in some very weird area and they do your makeup like you're in 1986 and you're Mm -hmm. going to a pageant and you're like, what (laughs) do they just do to me? And my producer would be like, well, I'd be like, you don't notice this? And he'd be like, no, because I'm paying more attention to what you're saying and the fact that you know the sport that I'm, that Mm -hmm. I'm looking at your hair. I'm like, my hair is teased, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to record a video at a mall. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? like this is terrible. And, 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 they, and the guys didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would feel, I would feel alone in that where I felt like I always needed to look super good and they mm-hmm. could wear the same three suits over and over again and nobody mm-hmm. noticed. But I was like, you guys need to give me a wardrobe budget because mm-hmm. I can't wear the same thing every week you yeah. like Pat and Ron do and these were the discussions that would have to be have. but for mm-hmm. my own personal pressure there was just an enormous amount of pressure I would put on myself about my weight and
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: uh, my appearance just because it is TV and at c- certain times I had to stop that I had to stop that and be like, you know what mm-hmm. the fans like you for you mm-hmm. the people who comment on what you look like Mm-hmm. They're just you don't even know what they look like, and I had to yeah. let a lot of that go. So it, I ever like, do your job, be professional, be neat and clean, yeah, and 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 try to get rid of a lot of this because it's not as important as you think. And the world is changing. just look look healthy and presentable, right? Yeah. And that's how I changed my whole perspective on beauty in the mm-hmm. first place. What beauty tries to mimic, if you really think about it, is health. You know, your, your skin's clear because, you know, you're you taking care of yourself. Th- things like that. But also that it's not as important as you think. You just have to be presentable. And, and who cares? It, it, because it's fans, the most beautiful woman, like I tell you this, Charlize Theron is, is beautiful. And I was out to dinner with some friends and, and everybody was talking and somebody was like, oh, she got a giraffe neck. I'm like, Ugh. how can you find a fault with literally one of the most beautiful women in the world? Yeah. And it, I'm like if they can find a fault with Charlize Theron, then I'm a troll. Because but it just made me realize that you're never gonna please everybody. You're never gonna be anybody's cup of tea. So as long as you're happy with yourself and you're presentable and you're healthy, mm-hmm. that should be
1: the most important thing. But that's a process, right? And that's like when I feel bad, especially for younger girls, yeah, because it's like it takes. I'm I'm in that process as well of, you know, accepting myself and my body. And it's been I've, for instance, my whole life I've struggled with my weight. Like it's been Me an too. ongoing thing. Me too. Yeah. Like since I was a kid. Right. And and that's the kind of thing that stays with you. Like if you mm-hmm. had problems with your weight as a child, like you're going to carry that. I at least it's a theory I have. Sorry, everybody. I'm not a psychologist. I could be wrong, but I watch a lot of documentaries. So, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I, I and then, you know, over the years, it really it took me such a long time to get to a place and it still does. I'm 31 now and I still find myself sometimes falling in those traps where i'm like letting myself feel like letting other people's feelings dictate dictate how i feel about myself yeah right like i think we all do sometimes but i do i'm with you in that it really is a process of telling yourself that dude it does it literally does not matter like they're going to find people who want to hate on other people will find something you can be for perfect. sure there will be something you're going to be too skinny you're going to be too fat you're going to be too tall your shoulders are going to be too broad too broad like something these people are going to find but
0: yeah so that's not not what it's like about proving for me but i will Mm -hmm. tell you this what what does get sort of nerve-wracking in so many ways is just kind of always thinking about how are your product Mm -hmm. and I'm not the half naked chick on Instagram. And maybe that does hurt my brand a lot, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel authentic and sincere for me, mm-hmm. you know? And that, that that's a neat feeling that I think a lot of women in media feel like, okay, do I have to post bikini pics? Because, you know, am I going to get beaten out for a job? Because this person has 70,000 followers and is, has her butt cheeks out all the time. And, and you know i'm I'm in an x men t-shirt you know that it's 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 frustrating uh and feels unfair, but also I'm very pro chick too if you' yeah, right. have a beautiful body and you're showing it off and you look good and you're it, like go right ahead like, that's kind of okay with me it It's just who's best for the job and, and uh and that is that is something I think everybody struggles with too.
1: Yeah, because that's it's kind of like what you said, right? like Sometimes it feels like you have to act a certain way or to to get the things. But then the girl who posts the bikini photos, which by the way, I'm that girl. Like I have a very slutty Instagram. <laughs> just the past two years, my Instagram has become very slutty. Uh, it's part of the process. People just embrace it. But I, you know, and then the girl who posts that picture might get passed because. She posted that picture because she's the kind of girl who posts the pictures with. Oh my God, you know, you're so right. right?
0: Yeah, so, you're so right, and it's such a double standard. And also, too, I kind of mm-hmm. wish I could post bikini pics and feel comfortable with it because mm-hmm. you should, you should post those pictures because you should feel empowered by your body and your sexuality. And being sexy is awesome. Like, like there's nothing wrong with that either you know show a little leg you know show your femininity and your sexuality and 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 all those type of things too it's that's why i don't even feel comfortable saying it because i'm liking my friend's pics like good for you girl or that looks (laughs) cute on you because that's part of it also
1: yeah right and that's i think that's kind of what became like my thinking and all of this like you're gonna get criticized for whatever mm-hmm. you do like however you are so just do you if you feel right. comfortable do if you don't don't it's all fine and beautiful it's your right. instagram people who don't want to look at it can just unfollow you like that's very simple um, yeah. one thing that i talked to julie Kedzie about in and and we talked a lot about this idea right because there is It's very strange when you look at women's MMA, at least to me, and I wanted your opinion on this because it is, I think it's a very empowering sport. Mm, Um, I think it is empowering to see women uh, headlining UFC events. I think it's empowering to see them in these positions where they are placed along the man in a card um, without, you know, their rounds aren't shorter. You know, like, we're not treating them uh, in in any different way, athletically speaking. And at the same time, um, there is an expectation, Julie really uh, talked about this a lot, of the way that women fighters need to market themselves. And it's not that I have a problem with women marketing themselves. Like, I talk a lot about Paige Van zandt who I think is gorgeous and has her thing going and I love her for it. Like you do you, Boo, I love it. Um but you have that and then you have people expecting women to promote themselves that way. And at the same time when they do, they're shamed for it. Yeah. And right like it does kind of feel to me that as far as we've come with women's MMA in a lot of ways, there is still a little bit of that double standard and that sort of like can't win situation with the way that they market themselves. I don't know if you, if you have that, that impression as well. I do. I I definitely think
0: it's getting better Mm -hmm. because, you know, think about Amanda Nunes, right? That's she's none of those things, Mm -hmm. but why is everybody tune in? Because she's just that good and she's a beast you know Mm -hmm. uh way lee and rose people were dying to see that why because they're just great and Mm -hmm. i've noticed the changes in how people talk about women's mma now where it was like this cool freak show uh oh there's chicks on the card now Mm -hmm. it's like you're talking about who's striking is better who has better conditioning it's it's a Mm -hmm. language the way i hear men talk about women's mma now which is totally different than when when it was when i first got started So I Mm -hmm. do want to give a lot of the savvier fans, true fans, uh, fans of martial arts, a lot of credit for how things have changed. Mm -hmm. And I'm very um, pro men and and a lot of the changes that they've made personally and professionally as the world has changed. There's a lot of guys that have been supportive of this whole movement that we've had. And that pressure is definitely Mm -hmm. there. But ultimately... It comes down to if you're as talented as Nunez or Cyborg and things like that, people are going to tune in because you're a beast. I do think it hurts with sponsorships. I do think it hurts with stuff outside of the cage. I do think that it's a big part of marketing, but you got to find other ways to market. It can't mar- like sexy can't be the only way we market. It, mm-hmm. There's got to be other things, other stories we're telling, things like that. And in the end of the day, people are going to be interested and they're not you know there is a big popularity contest in everything nowadays i know that that's kind of the way it goes and there is that pressure when you're a female but i do see it changing i really really do when i hear people talk about fights it it is changing
1: yeah i i share that sort of like optimism at the same time Mm -hmm. like what i what i often think about is like said well if you're as good as cyborg and amanda Nunes like you can't really i like how i change my pronunciation of the names throughout the show because like sometimes i say it in my brazilian (laughs) sometimes i say it in english now i say some stuff in spanish that's how we're rolling uh but that you know you have to reach i feel like with women you do have to reach a much higher level to earn the Baseline respect, like, yes, you can't deny. Cy- and Cyborg, when you talk about marketing, right? I feel like she has been very savvy with the way she built her fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's very fan driven. We know that, she, you know, a lot of her social media, everything. I feel like she built a strong community throughout the years, and it certainly doesn't hurt that she's just an amazing, incredible athlete. But my impression, and this with women everywhere, right? I'm talking about him and me right now, but that they we just have to be that much better to yeah to kind of earn that a little yeah bit, you know yeah it's it's definitely
0: not it's definitely not fair it's <laughs> definitely not fair. But I think men have similar issues with marketing too.
1: Mm. Where you
0: know, look at poor Leon Edwards. Yeah, in, in the U.S., nobody cares about him, and and look mm. at his record yeah you know so it's a lot of that does it does happen
1: Mm -hmm. yeah right like at I absolutely and that's and that's something i've i've also discussed before like i feel like we go into these trends of promotion like now it's in vogue to like act like connor now it's in. i feel like (laughs) right like i feel like we go into these (laughs) <laughs> these moments in time where like the way to promote that person becomes sort of the standard of how we should promote ourselves. Sure. And then, just like it music. Up- right. You're it's right. just like music.
0: Everybody sounds like Billie Eilish. Now everybody's mm-hmm. trying to rap like Drake. It's like literally it's everybody sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, it's, it's just, that's human beings. Monkey see monkey do. Right.
1: Yeah. As, and that's something I talked about that. Why I feel like, Nate Diaz for instance has such an everlasting appeal yes and like everybody loves him so much because he just comes across as a person who for better or worse is just doing his own thing so I do feel like we crave that a little bit like that authenticity sometimes and I do feel like he really represents that and now for instance Brandon Moreno to me is another example of that
0: sincerity this is these, these all of them have been sincerely their own and that has made such a difference in being interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Because I do feel like as people, we kind of respond a lot better when we feel like a person is communicating with us honestly, right?
0: Sure. If you, when you watch a movie and the actor's bad, what makes mm-hmm. them bad? They, they don't seem real.
1: Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you one last question before I let you go. And, and now speaking from a different perspective, that is your perspective of somebody who... Um, has been, you know, in front of the cameras and doing, uh, you know, in podcasts I know you were on unfiltered a lot and just doing all these roles in MMA, but as a, a media person, how has that changed as a woman for you? We talked about how it changed for the fighters, but do you feel like things are also improving on that sense for us as women covering the sport? like? Versus how it was when you started, or you know, maybe some obstacles that you faced to how it is now. Like, how do you feel the sort of the scenario is for women working in this sport, not necessarily in a in a an athlete capacity?
0: Oh, I mean, this is such a this is a loaded question. So, yeah, I will no, definitely sorry. I will definitely go a little bit over, and that that's totally fine. I, I had a cancellation, so we're good. But oh, sorry, um, no, 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 it, it totally. I I really enjoy this topic a lot. So there's a couple of things. One thing is the jobs we can get. Mm. Sometimes it feels like on a broadcast, there's one chick. Uh And the only way to get a job is if that chick dies or gets fired. Yep. Okay. Or gets pregnant or moves out of the country or like gets... Mm -hmm captured by aliens that's it (laughs) there's one chick that we can only have one chick at a time like that's Mm -hmm. just how it is right and she's just going to do interviews that's all you can do and um and that that kind of stinks because why can't there be more women in the truck in production directing um doing audio all that type of stuff like we we should have more jobs in production in general and mm-hmm. I don't know, are women not applying for these jobs? Are they not interested in these jobs? Like, what's the deal with that? So that's one facet of it. The second thing is that we haven't really banded together as much as we should either. Like, I would mm-hmm. love to co-host with another woman yeah. and and put something together. I, I I never grew up with that one chick. You know, I I always had a lot of female friends, especially when I, once I got older. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just never looked at uh, people as competition. It was more like, oh, would we work well together? And Mm -hmm. I have my own thing and you have your thing. And, and I, that's the other thing. I feel like we haven't really banded together as much as we should either. And a lot of that is self-preservation because we've Mm -hmm. always been treated like there's only, can only be one at a time, Yeah, you know, and that stinks. And, uh, and I think that's another part of it. And then the third thing And I don't know how much this applies anymore, but I do find every once in a while you go on and you speak eloquently and, and you're educated, you know, your stuff, but there's going to be some fan, some idiot who's like, ah, you're a woman. So your, your credit goes down immediately. Mm -hmm. And that can be really, really frustrating. Or you'll get like, well, how did she get this job? Or, you know, uh, or you have to prove yourself time and time again, mm-hmm. when it wouldn't necessarily be that way for a guy. And those are really the three biggest obstacles I think that we still face, even though it is opening and it's getting better, and you do mm-hmm. see more women. Um, it's still just a sprinkle,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it yeah. all still feels kind of like an uphill battle. Like it does. Least- it yeah.
0: does. And there's much more, there's much more that we have to deal with that I don't think guys, and they don't mean it, Yeah, but they don't get it. And mm-hmm. I used to go through that all the time. And then, okay, so you work in a work environment. and I never brought this up, but I really feel like I should. I used to do my job and then I would be done. I would have dinner and then I would leave. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't stay in the boys club and be drinking with everybody and Mm -hmm. hanging out with everybody because as a woman, one, it looks bad. And two, Mm -hmm. if somebody says the wrong thing or acts in a particular way, you have to deal with that now. You have Mm -hmm. to deal with that now. And, and it's an uncomfortable situation. So I would basically go to my room, go to my room, you know, so like hanging out where if guys were just hanging out with guys doesn't look weird, but because you're a female and you're with the guys, it's like, Hmm, what is she doing? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that I don't think people realize that we mm-hmm. do have to deal with and how much ultimate self-control and poise we have to have all the time. Um, there's a video of, a uh, of, I think it's me and ally Aquenta, right? And we know each other for a really long time. We're from New York. And he he was like, oh, we're going to be at this uh, champs hat thing. You should come and, and grab a hat or whatever. So I came down and we took some pictures. And I'm like, I hate coming to Times Square, but I came because I love him. And I put my arm around him. And it was a super platonic, like yeah. friends know each other for yeah. forever. Uh, and the hug was like just an arm over the shoulder and like a head lean. Okay. Yeah. And Al Joe's literally behind us dancing in the background because mm-hmm. Aljo is super silly like that. Mm -hmm. and it was like question after question of if we were dating Mm. and I was so upset because this is this one moment where you know I'm with my New York crew because it you know how we are in the east coast we all know each other and it's like man you you I really wouldn't have I wouldn't have even thought to think that that looked like we're dating because it's like Dominic Cruz
1: and and uh Mm -hmm
0: you know, and they were messing around with each other, nobody would say anything.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. And this is such a big part of the job that I think a lot of people don't understand. A lot of the opportunities come from report, come from, you know, a lot of good things happen in those spaces where you're drinking or having a beer or coffee or just like being able to like just connect to humans around you in a different level or just, you know, having fun. And I feel like a lot of male bonding happens in those spaces and bonds that really benefit everyone. Uh, And we, out of self-preservation, can't really participate on that. Uh, And there's kind of a cycle, right? And something I've always talked about, like, even with in journalism, with, like, sources, in a sport yeah. that is so male dominated, right? You have managers that are men and you have uh, most a lot of prominent fighters. Again, it's changing, but most prominent fighters are men and you have, you know, a lot of male reporters and those people can afford to have these sort of friendships and relationships that we not, we're not always afforded because we're worried about either just giving the wrong impression or putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations, like you said, yeah. because it happens. Um, so I really appreciate you bringing that up, Phoenix, because I feel like it's something, like you said, it's not necessarily out of malice. It's not something that people are necessarily, um, they want, they, it, sometimes people just don't understand it because they don't live through it. And yeah. they, they never had to, right? It's as easy as that. Oh, well, I didn't know this happened because it literally never happened to me because it's not a thing that even crosses my mind. And sure. I do appreciate you bringing that up because it's like, well, now maybe it should cross your mind <laughs> because we're For saying sure. that it happens with us. So, For I really, sure. really do appreciate it, and I do agree with you that I feel like the listening has improved um, mm-hmm. by by our male colleagues in a lot of ways. I still feel like there's a lot of the idea of several women in on a round table still seems insane for some people right like you see one female guest like it feels like we have our our little quotas here and there that we can fill and still like the idea of just women hosting two women hosting a thing like like you said it just doesn't really feel like it's a feasible thing when of course it is like we have several women in the space who could absolutely do it but um and i do feel like when it comes to just spaces like opinion our voice is still way a lot less than right. than men's, but yeah. but I do think that people are starting to be more open, uh, more open when we say this. Like, hey, this happens, <laughs> and they're like, oh wow, that's wild. That's sad that it's happening, and you know, it's a start. I'll take it.
0: Yeah, I think it, it has. <laughs> I, I give a lot of credit to uh, to my male colleagues because they've always just kind of treated me like one of the guys and for better or for worse, Mm -hmm. because sometimes you're like, okay, guys, I'm not a guy. I don't really want to hear that. (laughs) And, but I laugh. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not super sensitive either. And, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that kind of started to suck about the me too movement is that people started using it for everything. And it's like, oh man, you're devaluing, the original intention behind this movement by making it about everything and um you know like there was this guy on on a road trip he used to call me honey all the time and this other uh chick was like doesn't that annoy you i'm like he's from the south he uses it it's not in a degrading demeaning way to him it's the way we say dude you know he's just basically being like hey honey hey sweetie hey darling hey it's a, it's a term of endearment i'm not gonna be like he's harassing me there's times where it's a hundred percent valid, and then there's times where it's like it's times where it's like you're you're being over the top with it. and um and it I don't want to devalue something that really had importance about equal pay, you know, about um it, it being of importance, about you know, how someone's getting treated or if they're being harassed or being asked for favors or that's totally different than. Now somebody asks, is he calling you baby or sweetie or or, uh, something that's not, there's no malicious intent. You can feel intent. We had a a situation once where a producer sent a dick pic to all of us, right? And they were so worried. They were so worried that I was going to get this guy fired. And I'm like, well, the situation is he's an idiot who meant to send it to his wife, but he sent it to the team text chain. So he sent it to all 15 of us. He didn't send it to me directly.
1: <laughs> I, that, I think just the different things <laughs> affect different people differently yes yes and so yeah so again i was like you're an
0: idiot for sending that and whatnot and you should be reprimanded by your boss but i'm not gonna me you you because you sent it to all of us not me you sent it to your boss you sent it to the director you sent it to the other commentators you sent it to the audio engineer. <laughs> he sent it to everybody. <laughs>
1: Holy shit! You know,
0: so for weeks we were all sending him pictures of like Dick Van Dyke and and like the stupidest, the Dick Tracy. We we're sending him stupid pictures all week long just to make fun of him. But I could have got this guy fired. But I, the intent was so dumb that he meant to send it to his very pregnant wife that he's totally in love with, and just an idiot sent it to. All of us. And it, it was like, yes, it's stupid and it's a boys' club, but it wouldn't be worth getting this really nice guy fired over.
1: I feel like also, I feel it dif- differently, but I feel like also it's changing generationally a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And certain things that we're like, we grew up being cool with, people are not going to be cool with anymore. I, yes. And I like that. <laughs> be like we're better at setting certain boundaries that my generation didn't necessarily set yes at the time. Right. Because then
0: there'll be no misinterpretation because you have a standard uh a line to start from.
1: Yeah. You know?
0: So I agree. I do agree. Uh
1: Phoenix already took up much of your time i want to thank you so much for being for generously sharing your busy busy schedule with me i know you have a ton of shit to do um i guess before we go is there anything you want to you know your socials any projects you're working on anything you want to plug to our listeners um nothing i can talk about yet i uh i'm working on a couple
0: of different projects but hopefully i'll have some news within the next month and you know just follow me on social i I always post some cool stuff up in there and i hope to see everybody really soon
1: thank you um thank you again phoenix thank you all at home listening thank you to our producer jordan who's amazing thank you to charlize theron you're gorgeous and you do not have a giraffe's neck (laughs) despite (laughs) despite (laughs) what you may have heard out there This has been the best camp of my life. I will see you all next week.